Well, on September 6, 1995, a baseball player by the name of Cal Ripken Jr. in the fifth inning set a new record. Now, he breaks this record, and his teammates uh, call him out on the, the top step of the dugout, and the, the fans are cheering, and he, he makes the walk up the dugout steps, and he tips his cap, and the, the crowd cheers for Cal Ripken Jr., and he turns around, and he goes back, and he sits down, but the crowd won't quit cheering. And so his teammates push him back out, out of the dugout again, and, and for 22 minutes, for 22 minutes, they won't stop celebrating this record that Cal Ripken Jr. breaks. And Cal Ripken actually makes his way around Camden Yards, and he's shaking hands, and he's hugging people, and he, he, he actually shakes hands with the guy's son who, whose record he had broke. And now, Cal Ripken didn't break really a baseball record. So this wasn't a celebration for the most home runs that have been hit. It wasn't a celebration for the most runs ever scored, the most wins. He had broke the record for the most consecutive games ever played. 2,131 games he played straight through. Never set out one game. His record ended up over 2,600 games before his streak ended. Almost 16 years that Cal Ripken Jr. faithfully showed up day in and day out and did his job. And there was something about that setting where, where the crowd recognized this, that the feat that it was. Now, maybe you're not a baseball fan, maybe you don't understand how big of a deal this is or was. Uh, right now, the current streak is at 128 games. 128 games, and so for Cal Ripken Jr. to accomplish this, it was huge, and for 22 minutes, his faithfulness was celebrated. His longevity, what he did day in and day out, was celebrated. And and as I was thinking about this, I was like, you know what, our culture today doesn't necessarily elevate or celebrate faithfulness. If anything, we, we see around us all the time unfaithfulness. Those are the stories that we read. And we've seen a major story just come out in the last week of all these people who are pursuing affairs. I don't know if you heard this, but there actually is an organization online that helps married people find affairs. They, they, is this new to you? Wow. Yeah, so yet yeah, life's too short is their slogan. Life's too short. And so they, you actually sign up and you, you get help to find an affair. They have a three-month guarantee. Oh, Lord. Yeah, and so, so th- this is the culture that we live in. Wow. Well, hackers broke into their system oh, and, <laughs> yes. and released all this information. Oh, no. I'm surprised you don't know this. Yeah. That's okay. You don't need to. Uh, but, but this is the culture. And so it's not... And here's, as I saw names come out, unfortunately, I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Right? That's really the sad thing is that, that you hear of affairs and you hear of famous people and you hear of people leaving jobs and for different reasons, but just, just faithfulness, like, isn't something that, that really is a big deal. It doesn't feel like to me. If anything, the, the stories that we always read are always about unfaithfulness. And it's, every time I read it, I'm like, yeah, that's another one. Yeah, that's another one. But... F- for this moment for Cal Ripken Jr., it was completely about faithfulness because I think there's something in this all. They're like, man, if, if, if we could just find someone or something or if we could just be faithful to that thing. But at times it doesn't seem really exciting. I mean, like, just the guy who gets up in the morning and he sees his kids off to school and he works hard all day and he comes back and he has dinner and he reads to his kids and he kisses his wife goodnight and he goes to bed. Those aren't the stories we read. It's everything else, but... But today we're going to look at this idea. What has God called us to do? 
if we're going to be a good neighbor, if we're going to be faithful, what, what is it that God is calling us to do? As we jump into that, let me just recap, just in case you weren't here the last couple weeks. Uh, you can go online on, on our YouTube channel and find these. You can search for St. Louis Trinity Church. They're on there. I would encourage you to do that just to catch up. Uh, but week one, we looked at this idea that this isn't just a command. This isn't just a statement that Jesus gives. This was a serious command. That, that when the person comes to Jesus and says, look, for whatever reason, to trap him or to make a point, he comes to, to Jesus and says, all right, tell us what the most important command is. What's the most important law? And Jesus gives two things, and that's to love God with your whole heart and your soul and your mind. And then he says the second one is connected. It's a lot like it, and that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. That as much as you care about yourself and your own needs and your own happiness, you should care about your neighbors as well. And he meant it. And he meant it. And so we looked at this idea that if we're really going to do this, if we're going to take it serious, the first thing we have to do is we have to actually know our neighbors. Do you, do you know who lives next to you? Do you know their names? Do you know their struggles? Do you know what's going on in their lives? If not, I would encourage you to do that. Before you can ever think about good, being a good neighbor, you have to really know your neighbors. And so we looked at this idea that it was a serious command that Jesus gives. And then week two, we, we looked at this idea that we have to choose a better way. We have to choose a better way, and we looked at this idea of busyness and how busyness often keeps us from being a good neighbor. We just don't have time. I mean, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to spend time with my neighbors. I want to help them and serve them. I, I just can't find the time. And so we have to begin to say no to some things, and it, it, it might be good things. I've had to make some really big decisions for myself in the last couple of months, and I've had to say no to a couple of things. And the reason I had to say no, and they were really good things, is so I could say yes to better things. And so for you and I, if we're going to be a good neighbor, we have to choose a better way, and we have to begin to say no to some stuff. And then last week, we looked at three words, three things that we're going to have to do if we're going to be a good neighbor, and they all started with F. And the first one is we have to fight fear. So maybe busyness isn't yours. Maybe you have all the time in the world, but maybe you're just a little fearful of your neighbor's. Maybe you're fearful of taking that walk across the street or across the yard or next door or whatever. You're, you're afraid of that for all kinds of different reasons. And so you have to fight against fear. Uh, in two weeks, we're going to start a new series called You Make Me Brave. You Make Me Brave. And we're going to look at lots of areas in our lives where we need God to make us brave in those areas. And so God will help us begin to fight fear. And then I said we have to forgive. And this isn't for all of you, I know, but some of you have some relationships with neighbors that literal, not, maybe not literal, but some walls have been built. And so someone's got to break through that wall and someone has to first say, well, well, let's talk about forgiveness. Maybe we need to ask for forgiveness or maybe we just need to forgive our neighbor. And then finally, this idea of what, what would it look like if we were to be faithful? If we're going to be a good neighbor, it's going to be about being faithful. And today we're going to kind of spend some time breaking that out. Uh, before we do, will you pray with me? God, I, I pray this morning that, that my words will be your words. I pray that, that we would look at this as a serious command, and so we would leave uh, today with an idea of what we're going to do, that we will be faithful to what you have called us to, and we'll fight against everything that wants to tell us not to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to look at uh, somewhat of a well-known story. I would guess maybe, and I know a lot of you um, didn't grow up in church, and so a lot of the Bible is foreign to you, and I understand that I didn't grow up in church either. And so a lot of times I would hear someone say, well, everyone knows this story. And I was like, well, I, I don't. And so some of you may not know this story, but it's the feeding of 5,000. 
the feeding of 5,000. It's going to be on the screen, but if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. There should be one around you. I would encourage you to hold a Bible. Maybe it's on your phone. Maybe uh, you want to take notes, but, but we're going to look at this story. And it's actually the only miracle that is found in all four of the Gospels. Now, the Gospels is an account of what Jesus did, and this was written by real people. So real people writing real stories about a real man. And they're called the Gospels or the Good News. And so in every one of these, this story is in it. It's the only story that finds itself in, in every one of the Gospels. And so we're going to look at two different ones. We're going to first look at Mark 6, 30 through 38. And I'm going to teach through this. And at the end, I'm going to challenge us to do two things. So in the end, I'm going to ask you to do two things. But we'll break this down first and then we'll get there. So we'll start in Mark 6, 30. It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can get, get, go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now, I don't know if you know this about the disciples, uh, but they weren't the smartest kids in the class. Like, honestly, they weren't even invited to the class. They weren't. They, they weren't in the schools. They weren't in the right places. Uh, several of these people were working hard labor jobs because they weren't very smart. And so you, if you read the scriptures, it's fascinating sometimes to see what the disciples say. And, and Jesus, it seems like he's almost always really patient with them and he's understanding and he helps them. But, but for me, this is one of those times that they see this massive need. Look, these people have been here all day. They're extremely hungry. Hey, Jesus, this is what you need to do. Jesus, you should send these people away. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself doing, myself doing that. Uh, Jesus, you need to do this. Hey, Jesus, you should do that. I see this problem that is around me. I know what my neighbors need. This is what you should do, Jesus. And so this is where the disciples find themselves. They see a group of people who are hungry, who have a need. It's a massive need. And so they go to Jesus with a plan and they say, this is what you should do. This is what you ought to do. But, verse 37, but he answered, you give them something to eat. Massive need. They come to Jesus with the need. They even tell Jesus what they should do. And Jesus' response is, you do it. You feed them. You know what the need is, you take care of it. Now, this is really kind of a funny statement that Jesus gives because we'll, we'll see later that there's 5,000 men. Now, on that day, the men would be the ones who are counted, but for every man, there was probably a woman and there was probably a, a child or two. So we're talking 10,000 plus people. This is a huge need. This isn't a small group of people that have found themselves hungry and they can scrounge up a little bit of food. This is a massive group of people. And now Jesus' response to them is, you take care of the need that you've brought to me. They said to him, that would take eight months of a man's 
wages. Are we going to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Look, Jesus, if we were even going to make this happen, eight months of wages, really? And then even if we could come up with that, would you really tell us to go buy bread for everyone? Wouldn't it be much easier just to send them away? Now, there's a really good reason why they, they respond this way. I mean, they're overwhelmed by the need. They're probably discouraged that Jesus even says you do it. They have every excuse to why they can't. And there's massive need here. And it's not like you, it's not unlike you and, and, and I either. I mean, the things that we see around us, there are these massive needs. And, and you read about them, you see them, and you think, well, what, what do I do about it? Right, right, the violence in St. Louis right now. Yeah. And my heart just breaks for this family who, who loses their nine-year-old little girl who's sitting in her room. And you read that story, and then you see every day there's shooting and violence, and you think, well, what do I do about it? Or you look at racism that is still prevalent in our, in our culture right now, and really in our community. And you can see racism, and you can think, well, I'm not a racist. And you can think, well, what am I going to do about it? And so you, you do nothing. Or we look at poverty. And we look at people in need. I don't know if you know this, but the Hazelwood School District actually have people who serve families in the Hazelwood School District who are homeless. That's in our community. That's in our school district. They call them fit families because they don't want to call them homeless families. They call them fit families, families in transition. They, these are families living in hotels. These are families living, look, we have, a, we have a lady who comes here often. Her and her uh, seventh grade daughter live in a hotel. And she comes here looking for, for help often. So, so these fit families who are living in hotels, they're couch surfing, they're living in their cars, are in our community. And even as you probably hear, you're like, well, what do I do about it? You, you see this massive need. Well, Jesus, you should do something. Jesus, you ought to do something. You, you should solve this problem. You can look at the educational problems. There are all kinds of problems around us. And it would be very easy for us to step back and say, yeah, this is a massive problem. God, you've got to do something. But, but I wonder, I wonder if Jesus' response to us is, you do something. You do something. But it feels overwhelming, and it feels like we're in over our head. That's how I feel almost every day, as I look at needs, and I want to help. And uh, we lived by the ocean, and I'd get in the water with my kids. And I've told some of the, the, my surfing and, and uh, bodyboarding stories, but the one thing I remember is uh, you, there's this point where the water always breaks, kind of breaks in the same place all the time. And the dangerous part is if you get stuck in that area. And so a wave takes you under and you come up and you, you get your breath and then another wave comes and it pushes you down and you come up and you're like, okay, I got my breath and then another wave. That, that's how it often feels with these problems. There's, ju there's just another problem. And you try and solve that problem and there's just another problem. Yeah. And so I, I honestly, I'm always saying this stuff to God what he should do. Yeah. Yeah. But I think he's telling us that you should do something. And so here we go, verse 38. Here's Jesus' response. He says, how many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. 
Five loaves of bread, two fish. We already talked about the numbers, the massive size that they're, they're dealing with, the number of people, and they come up with a Lunchable, right? Five loaves and two fish. Now we're going to jump into John 6. And so every one of these guys who write the Gospels, they share some little different things to the story. They don't change the story. The truth isn't different, but sometimes they add different details because of who they were, what, what their background looked like. And so we have John. So we're going to get back to, to Philip who answers with the eight months, and then we're going to see what happens from there. John 6, 7 through 15. It says, Philip answered him, eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. And so John adds that. So Philip earlier says, look, this is going to take eight months' wages. Well, John says that there's more to it. That he says it's going to take eight months' wages. And even with eight months' wages, it's not even enough for everyone to have a bite of bread. Yeah. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. So I don't really know what happens here. I don't know if Andrew goes looking and he steals this boy's lunch, right? If this is like, all he can find is like, sorry, bud, uh, I need this. And, and he takes it and he comes back and he says, look, I've, I found something. Here's a little bit of bread. Here's a little bit of fish. But, but he doesn't stop there. He, he doesn't come to Jesus and say, look, this is what I've found. He comes to him and says, this is what I've found. But then he says this, but, but, how far, how far will they go among so many? Look, Jesus, I came up with something, but, you know, it's probably not going to work. It's probably not going to work. And he, it's almost as if he's protecting himself. Do you do that? God, I'll do this, but nothing's probably going to happen. I mean, I'll be faithful and I'll take the step, but if we're realistic, this isn't going to make a difference. And so this is what Andrew does. Now, I don't think he stole the kid's lunch. Uh, I like to think about the faith of this child. Like Jesus often talks about us becoming like children when it comes to our, our faith. And so I like to think that this boy overhears the dilemma. That, that he hears that everyone's hungry and that the disciples have all the excuses and why they can't feed him and Jesus tells them to do it. And I have the picture of this little boy coming up and saying, look, I got something. I got something. Can you use this? I, I think this could make a difference. But at some point, as we get older as adults, we kind of lose that. We come up with all kinds of excuses. We come up with all kinds of reasons why we can't do something. But not this little boy. This little boy has this massive amount of faith, I think, that he says, look, use this, and I think he can make a difference. So many times in our lives, we're going to look around at the problems. We're going to look at what we have to offer to help solve the problem, and we're going to believe that what we have is insignificant to impact the problem. We say, I can't really do anything. And so you know what happens? We do nothing. We do nothing. And not only do we do nothing, but we expect someone else to do something. Well, they'll, they'll take care of it. The government will take care of it. Organizations, the nonprofits, they'll take care of it. Well, you do it. You do it. This is what Jesus is saying. You see the need. You do it. Now, remember what Philip said, that even with eight months' wages, that there wasn't enough for everyone to even have a bite, okay? Now, verse 10, let's find out what happens. It says, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated, 
as much as they wanted. Right? We, we weren't even going to have enough for everyone to have a bite. And, and now there's a buffet. There's a buffet, and, 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 and now it's they have as much that you want more. Here's more. Did you, get, did you get enough? If not, there's more. There's more. He did the same with the fish. Man, I can remember this happening. I, I, when I lived in California as a youth pastor, uh, our church had started something called the People's Kitchen. And so there was a meal that was served every day. There was a huge homeless population. We lived on the beach, and so uh, weather was perfect. There was a, a massive homeless population, and so they would feed them every day. And there was one lady who used to be fed by the people's kitchen who now ran the people's kitchen. And so every time we would help, I would take my junior high students on Saturdays and we would go and we'd help prepare the food and we would serve the food. And I remember this woman, every Saturday we were with her, she would pray for fishes and loaves miracle. She never knew who was going to come up. All she knew is she had something to provide. And she would often say, God, fishes and loaves. Fishes and loaves. Jesus, in, in this moment, takes what's given to him, he blesses it and multiplies it and takes care of the need. Greater than just meeting a need, it exceeded it. It exceeded it. And this is what I know. Look, Jesus is extremely creative. Now we're talking about the one who calms the sea, who, who makes blind people see and the deaf hear and raises people to life. And in this moment, he creates this miracle, and he could have done it a lot of different ways. I, mean, I don't know where the, the food multiplies. I don't know if there's this massive pile of, of bread and fish that all of a sudden appear, if it falls from the sky. I don't know, but, but this, is what, this is what it says in, in Matthew. Let's jump into, uh, into Matthew 14, 19. It says this, And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then what does he do with them? Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. So in the moment of this miracle, it could have just been this and everyone's got a plate full of food. Jesus could have done that. But this is what Jesus does. He says, I told you, you do it. Now, Now you be a part of this miracle. And so I get the picture of these disciples with their baskets of bread, and every time they take one out and they look back, it, it's replenished. And look, let, let's be honest. This seems like a crazy story. I'll be the, I'll be the first to tell you this. That the miracles of Jesus often, it's like, really? Am I, am I the only one that, like, let, let's be honest about miracles. But, but again, we're talking about the, the one who, who calms seas. And... So, so Jesus, Jesus does this. The beautiful thing to me is he invites the disciples to participate in it. He invites them to be a part of the miracle, to, to be a participant of, of meeting a significant need there was. Jesus could have done it however he wanted, but he allows them to do something with it. Verse 12, back into John. When they had all enough, when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Now this is brilliant. They started with five loaves, two fish. They didn't think they were going to have enough to do anything. And now Jesus is saying, go get what's left. Go around and whatever's not eaten, grab it and, and put it back in the baskets. And there's 12 basketfuls left over. So they gathered them, verse 13. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Now, maybe you don't know this, but there's 12 disciples. And so every disciple stands in front of Jesus with their basket. 
overflowing with leftovers. And, and for me, it's one of those moments where Jesus doesn't have to say anything. But Jesus doesn't have to say anything. I can imagine the disciples saying, yeah, we, we could have done something. We, we lacked faith there in the beginning. And they stand there and they're holding the leftovers of what Jesus was able to do. And so we see the massive needs around us and we say, I can't do anything about it. But if we understand that Jesus is saying, look, especially if you're a follower of Jesus, you do something. You do something. And not only are you going, if you'll take the step and you'll be faithful to what God's calling you to do, not only will you do something, but God will do something. That it's not reliant on you and even your gifts and talents and your strengths. Look, you, what if you just place before Jesus what you have? And that you believe something would happen. All right, let's end verse 14 with this uh, passage. It says, After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. That this miracle, that this miracle makes people recognize who Jesus is. That it's the miracle that, that makes people say, yeah, surely this is who we've been waiting for. Surely this is the one that we're looking for. All right, so what does this have to do with being a good neighbor? Uh, just like the last few weeks, I think there's some barriers, there's some things we have to, to fight through. And so two things that, that we're going to have to do are questions I have for you. And the first one is this. Uh, if not you, who? If not you, Who? Again, we, we see the need and we say, can I make a difference or can I really love my neighbor in a way that will impact them? I mean, the situation is so great. And some of the situations around you are so great. And because of the scale of the problem, you, you I, we, we don't do anything. We, we question if we can have an an impact. And so we say, my neighbor has so many problems. What can I do? Our city and county has too many problems. What, what can we do? But if, if not you, who? If, if not us together, then, then who? And, and you may say, look, look how I'm a mess. Uh, you may be a mess yourself. You, you may be in a situation where you are in need and you may be thinking, man, how am I going to help my neighbor? How am I going to meet my neighbor's need when, when I have massive need myself? You, you can. You, you have been given an opportunity. It may not be in a way that, that you think right now, but, but maybe there's opportunity. And here's what I do know is that you all have an opportunity to love well. That We talked earlier, that costs a lot. It costs you something to love well. But, but, but maybe it's just meeting it in a different way. And what if you just went to Jesus and you said, look, this is what I have. It's not much. And you actually believe that God would do something with it. And, and I don't believe that Jesus will command us to do something that he's not going to equip us to do. Let me say it again. God's not going to call you to do something and then not give you the ability or equip you to do it. So when he says to love God with everything, he's going to allow you or help you to do that. And when he says to love your neighbor as yourself, he's going to help you do that. And when he tells the disciples, you feed them, they didn't realize this, but he was going to help them feed them. He's going to help you do whatever God has called you to do, but you have to be faithful in it. You have to be faithful in it. And, and if I didn't think we could do something, now hear me, if I didn't think we could do something, I wouldn't be here. 
I wouldn't. I'd go somewhere else. If I didn't think myself had the ability because of Jesus to actually make an impact on our community, I'd go somewhere else. If I didn't think us as a group of people couldn't have an impact in North County, I'd go find someone else. But, but I, I actually believe that we can make an impact. I do. I believe that we can change lives. And, and all those areas I talked about earlier that, that we say, man, this problem is huge of violence and, and racism and poverty and education. and Man, it's overwhelming. But if not us, who? Let's not wait for someone else to take care of the problem. You do it. We'll do it. But, but we're going to do it because God is going to equip us and help us to do it. But, but oftentimes, I know this, oftentimes we, we kind of sit back and wait. I'm just waiting for the perfect opportunity. I'm just waiting for the, the right chance. I'm just waiting for everything to, to work out. Uh, the Navy have these ships that, that sit in, a sh- in what's called a shipyard. And so he- here's a picture of one. Uh, these massive ships rarely ever will leave the port. They're always being maintained. They're often being painted. They actually have a, and some of you who are way smarter than me probably know this better, but they have this way of like sending electrons into the hull of the ship to keep them from rusting. It's always equipped. There's always sailors. It's always ready, but rarely ever does it leave. That's us often. We're equipped. We're ready. We feel like we've had the training. We've been challenged. We're just... We're just waiting. We're just waiting. Let's stop waiting. Let's stop waiting. The, the disciples see the need and Jesus says, you can do it. We don't have to send them to somewhere else or someone else. We'll do it. But, but it took these guys to be faithful and it took a little while, but they did and there was a massive impact. So if not you, then who? The second thing. I believe this, and this is what changes everything. But our small efforts plus God's power equals significant impact. Small efforts plus God's power equals significant impact. Look, we're, we're talking two pieces of fish and five loaves. That's it. And because of God's power, there's something mysterious, miraculous that happens. And I wonder if we could at some point look back and say, look, I don't know how this happened. Everyone had written North County off. I don't know how it happened. We were faithful and we did what God called us to do. And, and look, people, people are wanting to move here. Well, we could look back and say, look, we were just small efforts. We were faithful in what we did. And with God's power, there was significant impact. We're going to fall short. We're going to fail. That's one of our, our core values around here is everything's an experiment. Yeah. We're going to try things and they're going to fail. Yeah. But we're going to try. Yeah. We're, we're going to be faithful to what God has called us to do here. Yeah. And, and so what if, we, what if we quit making excuses? What if we quit being afraid of failing? Mm. What, what if we heard God's voice to us say, you do it, and then we did it? But again, it's not the big things. Look, big splashes, big things don't equal a big difference. A big splash into something that's going on doesn't lead to always significant impact. We can look at the the community of Ferguson right now. Last August when Michael Brown shot, man, all kinds of stuff happened that month or two. 
And I'm talking about organizations that come in and they're, they're there for a short time and they pour in money and resources, but they leave. That's not going to fix a problem, but you know what, what can is I have a, a friend, a girl who, who uh, just graduated, she was a part of our youth group, her dad's a pastor. You know what they did? They left St. Charles and they moved into Ferguson. They, they meet in the basement of a restaurant in Ferguson. And I was just with them this last week and I mean, they're just being faithful. They're just loving the people. That's what, that's what matters. We, we know it's not the huge things. We, we know it's the small stuff that makes a difference. If you're, if you're losing weight, it's the everyday decision, right? It's the small things that matter. If you lead a business, it's not just always the big decisions that you make. It's, it's those everyday, it's those hundreds or thousands of decisions that you have to make. As a teacher, it's that everyday teaching the kid over and over. It's the small things that's going to have a lasting impact. And so for you, and, and let's look at your literal neighbor's. It doesn't have to be huge. What, what are the small needs just right around you that you could be a part of? And actually believe that those small things with God's power could lead to a significant impact. And I know we've been looking at our literal neighbors, but let's expand it a little bit. And let's, let's look outside. So let's look at North County. Let's look at St. Louis. And then let's say, okay, if we, if we continue to do these small things, we just choose to continue to read with kids. That could have significant impact. If we just meet the needs that we come across on a daily basis, could that actually change things? And you have gifts. You have abilities. You have talents. If it's a mechanic or a gardener or a baker, you, God has gifted you in some area. What if you, instead of trying to figure out something else, you said, all right, I'm going to take that. Maybe it's in business. Maybe you have a business mind, and you can be able to help start small businesses. Whatever it is. What if you just begin to say, all right, I'm going to do small things. But you got to do something. You got to do something. This is not one of these messages where you can just hear it and be like, yeah. Like, this is a you do it. This is a you do something. Students, you're in school with lots of students. Do something. It's more than just going to class and playing sports. Like, you have relationships there. Do something. They're your neighbors, your locker neighbors, the people you sit next to. Do something. You have gifts, and so let's start seeing that God could do something with those gifts. Romans 8, it's not in, the, in there. I just thought of it actually this morning. Romans 8, Paul says this, the power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that's in you. Think about that. The same power that raised Jesus back to life is the same power, the same spirit that's in you. You, you have the power to do something. Just two really quick quotes. Uh, this is a guy named Bob Goff. It's, it's kind of difficult to read. Uh, he's a lawyer, and he just does some unbelievable things. He's, he's written a book. I'd encourage you to read it. It's uh, Bob Goff's uh, book, and he's uh, a lawyer. He does great things. Um, but here's his Instagram post from this last week, and I thought this was perfect. It says this, I would rather have a couple ideas fail than a faith that won't work. Or try. Or try. It was a test to see if you were uh, following along. Yeah. Let's do that again. I'd rather have a couple ideas fail than a faith that won't try. 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 But let's, let's hear the stories of what God does. Not, 
Now, this isn't about us. This isn't about Trinity. This is about what God wants to do, and he invites you to participate. He could do it, but he invites you to participate, and he says, you do it. You do it. Let's pray. God, thanks for uh, today. Uh, we need your help. Um, God, would you give us vision? Would you give us ideas? Would you give us insight on the small things we can do for our, our neighbors? Would you help us to do small things with great love and believe that if we're faithful in doing those small things that you will make something happen, that it's by your power, God. God, I'm, I'm trusting in you. Uh, I'm going to have boldness and courage to take on the problems in our community. God, we're going to do this. We're, God, we're not going to just be a church that's for us. We're not going to be a church, God, that's just about more people and more programs, but God, we want to be about being a presence in our community. God, would you help us? Would we look back at this moment and realize that this was the beginning of it all when you challenged every one of us to do something? We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. See you next week.